Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new pod, Inspected Goals. Uh, myself and Sam will be recording this throughout the 22-23 season. Uh, we appreciate you coming along and listening for the first time. Um, and it's going to be a new experience for all of us, uh, looking into the stats, trying to improve our gameplay. Sam, how are you doing? I'm very good, thanks Luke. Yeah, doing well. Looking forward to podcasting. I've been on a couple before as guests, but to be able to like commit to do one for the full season uh, is exciting. And yeah, excited for this podcast particularly to, yeah, it's the mo- I think it's the most exciting part of the season, the beginning, when you're trying to settle your team, you've got so many decisions to make in one go in comparison to a, a normal game week, I guess. Most definitely. And it is very, very early, um, but the FPL world doesn't sleep and it obviously moves very quickly. So I don't know how you've done it in the past, but I always like to try and keep my finger on the pulse as much as possible as things evolve. I don't actually know if that's the best way to play. Sometimes I wonder if it's better just to come in sort of in the last few days and make your decisions on the most current info. Um, but yeah, have you always played that way? Because I've always tried to keep up with it as much as I can. Um, it depends because you hear some people talk about the fact they just like absorb information as much as they can and do it later. And then you'll see other people on Twitter, for example, like they're posting a draft every single day. Um, yeah. I'm, pro- I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Sometimes I'll, so for example, I did like a first draft the day the game came out mm. and then didn't do another one for a couple of weeks and then went back to it. And I was surprised at some of the players in my team, even after two weeks yeah. of like seeing information, you're like, wow, what, how did they get in there? And you feel like you made an obvious mistake. So it's, it's interesting to see the trends actually, particularly being on Twitter, when you've got so many people sharing ideas, the trends in people's thoughts over time. Mm. How one one player, as soon as the game release is released, can be like obvious and it can seem obvious that everyone should own them. And then two weeks later, everyone's talking about someone else and they're 50-50 on that player based on all sorts of different factors. And I guess it's about trying to uh, work out which factors are actually important <laughs> during pre-season to make sure you're making good decisions. Most definitely, yeah. Goes in peaks and troughs all the time. And that's part of the part of the puzzle of FPL, isn't it? Trying to work out what's important information to actually take in, um, which is part and parcel why we're trying to do this pod as well. Um, I think before, I know it's a bit cliche, but some of you guys won't know who you're who you're talking to. So um, we're going to try to make this sort of a 45 minute pod in the future. This one you might have to forgive us might be a little bit longer because we're going to have to do the whole intro thing just so you know who we are. So Sam, if you could give us a sort of brief intro into your FPL career and yourself, that would be very useful, I think. Yeah, mate, I need a bigger intro than you. You're a FPL celebrity, if you ask me. Steady. Um, yeah, I suppose I've been playing FPL for a long time, so for eight years. And in fact, I've been playing fantasy football even longer than that. I remember doing like a school's fantasy football competition when I was about 11. Um, the only thing the only thing I remember about it is that I owned Andy Johnson. And it was the year when he played for... I went Pallet. to school with him. Did you actually? Yeah, genuinely went to my school. It was like a year above. I used to play football wow. with him on Bow Hill in Bedford. Big Incredible. up Andy if you're listening. Incredible scenes. It was a year he played for Palace and he scored like 10 penalties in the year or something like yeah. that. So, so you ended up on, I don't know how many goals, but well over 15. Um, that's the only memory I have of that. I've been playing FPL for eight years. I guess I got into it this similar way to most people where you want to beat your mates at FPL. Mm-hmm. Um so I've got, if you look at my like history, there's the first three years where I'm like in the millions, where I think I probably gave up halfway through the season. Then the last four or five years, I'd say I've taken it seriously, even though I've not done well in those early years. And um, and generally finished between like 100 and 200K somewhere, finished mm-hmm. 60K once. And then last year, I got really, really lucky, but also changed a bit about the way I play and had like a yeah unbelievable season. I was extremely happy with it. 
Whereas for, I finished 1.8k in the end, but for most of the season I was around the top hundred. Basically, I was 25th in the world, wow. 25th in the world at one point, which was surreal. Um, yeah, but I love FPL just because I love football, and then I I happen to work in football as well. Um, work as a I've worked as a sports scientist, uh, as a as a nutritionist. I work mainly now. Um, I'm working in um, international women's football with England's uh, like youth teams as a researcher at the moment, trying to understand the energy demands of women's football. So that's what I do day to day. But mate, really excited to yeah be joined by you as well. Um, and I don't know much about your FPL history um, as such either. So interested to know what you're you're going to share. Absolutely. I, I just think that's incredibly interesting. I know we've talked about it before, but I'd love to have a job in football. I really, really would. I think that's so good. Um, hopefully we can hear more about that. And I think your insights, particularly into uh, fitness of players and stuff, and obviously being just around changing rooms and stuff like that, I think that's quite useful. Um, so we've, we'll be drawing on that throughout the season, hopefully. Um, so to introduce myself, yeah, I've been playing fantasy football again since school. I'm 38 now and I probably started when I was 16, 17. Um, but that's been over multiple different fantasy formats. In terms of FPL, I actually played 15 years ago, 2007, 2008. Um, I think I just created a team because I didn't really know how it works. The pricing thing was confusing to me. Um, I think I just left it, to be honest with you, and did okay, like with a dead team. Uh, I think it was okay in terms of the rank, but retrospectively, that's obviously because there's probably like not that many people playing because it probably wasn't a particularly good high percentage finish. Then I didn't play FPL for sort of three years after that. My history is like blank because obviously just didn't like it. Um, and then I came back to it when I started working with Fantasy Football Scout on other games, Sky and stuff. Mm. Um, I've had fair, varying degrees of success. I, I, I think you can put it. Um, I came 580th one year. the same year I finished fourth in Sky. So that was obviously my heyday. I've been fighting wow. to get that back ever since. Yeah. Unbelievable that. Yeah, that was a really lucky year, I'll be honest with you. Matched the teams quite similarly across the games and mm. just generally, obviously, those players did well. But that was shooting from the hip. You know, I, I used some stats, but probably not the correct stats, and that's part of why we're doing this. And I recognise that although that was probably my best season, you know, there was a large element of luck in that. Um, since then, honestly, I've been I've got slightly disillusioned with FPL overall because obviously the prize, the amount of people that play it, and it's even whole effective ownership thing and everyone sort of picking the same players in the last few years i've kind of almost treated it a little bit like a side project you know just trying to have fun with it um and i, I got a little bit bored to the point where i made it my project to study man city last season and think well how can i work out this puzzle and try and keep my interest and obviously i'll be doing that throughout the season on here if i can looking at man city trying to work out their expected minutes which i think is going to be a really important thing as we move forward in fpl just trying to judge that hopefully that can be of some use so I sort of had that puzzle and then during the year I started to learn a little bit about the analytical side and it really interests me, right, because my formula, whatever it is, isn't working and I want to try and knuckle it down and do what I think is the correct the correct way to play this game, really, um, and have that sort of barometer or that thing to work against, a platform to put against and see how I'm doing, you know, to have a judgment from essentially a very, very clever machine that can take in all the bias out of it. I can look at it comparatively and see, you know, how I'm doing in comparison so that's where i'm going that's where i want to do this is what this pod's about and hopefully i can sort of just play in a more sensible way and try and uh, go for those top ranks um rather than sort of mess around with the old captain band but a lot of it will be me fighting against the machine i don't doubt it i think straight away right from the beginning we will be using fpl review a lot throughout the season because that is the benchmark in models for me um and quite often, I'm sure you'll find us bring up the optimal move and me trying to fight it straight, uh, which is wrong. But I'm going to try and train myself to 
to go along that as much as I can. So yeah, I think that's a quite lengthy intro, um, mm. but hopefully that's helped a little bit. We talked a little about a bit about the podcast goals there throughout the intro. Is there anything else you can think of, Sam, that we want to do in this pod? I think it's just generally making better decisions, isn't it? That's the general aim, using analytics. I, I think that's it. Yeah, making better decisions using analytics. I think that's a good summary. I think it's interesting because we're similar stages in that we're neither of us, well, I would say for myself at least, I'm no expert in analytics mm. at all, just very interested in it and have been very interested in it. In it. I suppose I've been very interested in like the analysis of football in, in general. So when I did like my, I did an undergraduate in sports science and the two areas I was really interested in were physiology, particularly how nutrition can change that, which is what I ended up going into for work, but also like performance analysis. Mm. So I always had like that interest in it, but didn't really maybe have a great understanding of it. Just found it fascinating. Um, and then uh, I would say like the last season, probably similar to you, got really interested in like analytics for FPL trying to understand models but there are so many people out there that know way more than me about it mm. just trying to learn from people but I think what also is interesting is we're at a similar stage in doing that but our playing styles are probably very different yeah so we probably use a lot of the same data but I yeah normally yeah always very conservative with like taking hits whereas you're the opposite and I could actually probably benefit from the opposite of you and actually being a bit braver in some decisions so I Last season, I took four hits all season in like a season where there was so much like cancellations because of COVID. So many double game weeks, I took four hits. Two of them, right. in the last, two in the last two game weeks, and but there were definitely times when I should have and I didn't. Yeah, so. there's probably a balance to be had somewhere, isn't it? I think mine is far too extreme. Mine was more in the minus one hundred range. I, I have said this on other pods oh. before. I think that depends on um, how good your picks to begin with sometimes. If you've made wrong choices, wrong structural errors, if you get injuries, there's an element of luck involved there, obviously, but that is far, far too extreme. I think if I can take that out straight away, we should see an improvement. It's something in my mind of I don't have to have the very best team on paper every single week. It doesn't have to work like that, right? And, um, yeah, I, I think more around maybe sort of the minus 20 over a season might be better, right? Somewhere around there. I'm not sure what the actual figure is, but probably definitely more towards your side, I would say, than mine. Yeah, um, but, but the reason, you, but it's interesting you say that, because obviously I happened to start really well last season, so I just often didn't need to take them, and I got quite oh, a, lot, a lot of luck around like games getting cancelled and still having like 10 or 11 players to play. So it's easy for me to say that when I got fairly lucky from that point of view, but even in previous seasons, I generally think that hits are overrated in single game weeks, definitely, but mm. probably underrated too much by me and maybe some other players in around double game weeks. I know that's when I should use them more. Yeah, I did actually pick that up quite a lot from the analytics side um, across the season. It seemed they were very, very open to them in double game weeks. And, you know, if the maths make sense, then it makes sense. And I can see the logic in it. Um, OK, so there's the intros done, really. Uh, obviously, you've had time to look at FPL and make your draft, as you've said. Have you got any general thoughts about the game before we get into it? Because I have to say I was a little bit disappointed in certain areas, but I don't know whether that's just being a grumpy old man. I've played this game a long time, but... Yeah, what's your general um, thoughts? My thoughts are, in, in terms of the pricing, which I guess is the main thing everyone's excited about when the game comes out, relative to each other, I think the pricing is good. So I think that's, if you compare just it just player by player, but I think overall, all pricing needs to be higher. Um, well, I think that would make it a more interesting game anyway. So I think the way they've priced it, and and this has always been the case, this isn't a new, this isn't a new thing, by the way. It just feels like it is because people are complaining about it now because the, the, the game's uh, just come out. Um, overall, it's too easy to get. You're not basically you're not forced to get players from like teams who've just been promoted, for example, too much. It's quite easy to build an eleven 
of teams of players from the best teams and to have yeah. like three Liverpool, three City, a couple of Chelsea, maybe a Spurs player and maybe two Arsenal players, for example. And I think it'd be I think it would be more interesting if prices were higher. So in order to get Salah, for example, that meant you had to compromise more on uh, your defenders um, and have defensive players from worse teams. Um, and then the other area, I guess, people are interested in, in terms of chips. I think what they've done is good in terms of having that wild card during the World Cup. Yeah, I think, I think it's I think, kind of needed. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think that's a good thing to do. And uh, yeah, I know a lot of people aren't fans of some of the other chips, but I, I think they're fine. Yeah, I'm not a particular fan of them, I'll be honest, but I think that's probably just more old school. I do appreciate that they generate, um, you know, game theory and and chat amongst the community. So it's fine. I'm not going to you know moan about it particularly. I did did prefer it when it was just old school and you just had one. Um, and I like you, I preferred it when it was a little bit harder. It does feel a little bit Super League or starting up a game with Champ Manager and just picking Man United or whatever. When they were good, this is, I play the old versions, just want to clarify that, uh, rather than Southampton. It does feel a little bit like that, but it just means it's different, right? It's not. It, it just means you have to focus maybe in other areas. Maybe you do have your superstars, but it's more about those little little key pieces around the outside, which which is slightly different maybe than the past where you had to sort of, you know, pick a premium and maybe ignore several others. But this is all on paper, right? As soon as the season starts, we all know that football is a, a game of extremely high variance. And I'm, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if virtually like every season, we look back at our game week one side and think, what on earth was I thinking there? It just seems to happen all the time. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll start off just looking at some fixtures, the teams just, we're not, we're not going to do drafts on this pod really. We're just going to discuss some things, essentially some hot topics as we move forward with this pod. That is something we'll look to do. We'll look to have a structure where we're going to look at the hot topic each, each sort of week. Um, obviously we don't really have much of a hot topic because the game hasn't started uh, and look at uh, the FPL review recommendations and unexpected minutes of players. But obviously we're, we're a long way off that now. So we're going to look at some fixtures, look at some players that are popular in the community and just discuss them a bit. So Hopefully, if I bring that up, that's the fixtures that you guys can see. Obviously, everyone will have seen them now. Is there anything that jumps out to you, Sam? Uh, I think the main thing that jumps out to me is just that a lot of the good teams have good fixtures. Mm. So I think if you look at that, that's just um, what Holly's shared there on that infographic. I think is is just done based on how the FPL website grades the fixtures. But even irrespective of irrespective of, of that, um, Arsenal. Liverpool City there probably do have the three best fixtures. You've got Chelsea definitely in the top half um, and Spurs. So it's only really Man United who are not that interested anyway uh, of like the big six who you mm. wouldn't say are in the top half for like the quality of opening fixtures. So again, even what we've said about the low pricing in general, uh, meaning it's easier to get players from bigger teams, that's um, emphasised even more and increased even more by the fact a lot of them have good opening fixtures. And mm. I think and I also think it's pretty interesting actually just to look at the first six fixtures this year or less fixtures um, just because I think a lot of people will wildcard early because we're then forced into that wildcard um, during the World Cup. So it makes sense that people will go earlier on the wildcard um, in general. And um, so that's particularly interesting for goalkeepers. I think where normally you might be picking a keeper for a longer period of time. Mm. Yeah, definitely. 
I think with this wild card, it's really important because it is it is um, forced on you, and you've got obviously those sixteen weeks. It doesn't really make logical sense unless your team needs it to to sort of make it, um, you know, uh, really lopsided in that you've maybe only got two game weeks left before you have to wild card and then use a wild card. We're not expecting any double fixtures or anything like that. So putting it somewhere straight in the middle, eight weeks with an international break at that point. Also, FPL review. If you pay for the um, the paid version, it has a horizon of eight weeks game weeks, so you can look that far into the future, which is the maximum. It all seems to tally up as a an eight game week wild card. I'm not adverse to obviously using that to correct mistakes and build value any time earlier than that, but I think that's probably the max we should look at. And I think, especially before the season starts, if you start to look beyond sort of six eight weeks, you start to get yourself in trouble sometimes in this game. I think because of how fast football moves. So. Yeah, it's compounded, you're right, by the fact that the best teams with some of the best options also have the best fixtures. In previous years, we've even had double game weeks and blank game weeks to start in, like game week one and stuff to navigate, and it just feels a little bit easy there. But Oh, yeah, yeah. we have. Why is that? I can't remember now. I think it's the Super Cup and stuff, isn't it? I oh, think that's yeah. affected it. So a team playing in that can, can affect it. I'm not sure why that's not happening. Maybe they've canned that entirely, but um, it does feel like it's, it's happened most most seasons to be honest no no english team winning in europe that's why i guess oh, yeah, yeah. that makes, that makes total yeah. sense. and another thing that in is interesting particularly at the beginning of the season but i think is in general it's generally interesting when you wild cards or when you might be thinking about transferring a certain player is i think they're going to be a bias in looking at the immediate fixture so even though what i've said there is true i think about generally people will wild card earlier you're not you ultimately these players you're getting in now you want for at least the first two or three game weeks because you don't want to be punning in transfers mm. so there can be a bias against the first fixture because you look at it on the screen i think absolutely um, maybe raptor ross will be able to uh, tell me the technical name for that bias or whether there is one so for example if you look at this these fixtures everton they've got chelsea then villa forest brentford leeds if that happened to be forest brentford leeds villa then chelsea and liverpool like would a lot of us be looking more Ever- like one cheap Everton defender, for example, um, or like Calvert-Lewin or someone like that. And with West Ham particularly, if that happened to be Forest, then Villa, then Brighton, and then Man City, Spurs, Chelsea, would people be thinking, oh, Jared Bowen's a, a better pick? Because no, no one from what I've seen on Twitter is talking about him. And I'm not suddenly saying he's a great pick, but it's interesting. I think that is something to consider, at least. And I can't, yeah, there aren't any like, really obvious examples that I guess another one might be Chelsea if that Spurs game happened to be first and Spurs and Chelsea were playing each other would be be less likely to go like double Chelsea defence for example when actually it's probably mm. quite good so, right. I think that's so I think that's something to consider is yeah the, the first three or four games as a whole um, yeah looking at the block because it de- definitely when you like see it on your screen if you were to see like Kane, Chilwell, whoever, James with Chelsea or Spurs first that would put you off a bit I think most um, definitely yeah, I agree. And um, Bowen is a perfect example there. Obviously excellent, slightly more pricey than some of the other popular 8 million mids, but that Man City game just puts you off straight away. Now, this might be the first pitchfork moment that some of the analytical crew, analytical crew will talk about um, where it's you know, essentially narratives rather than any anything based in fact. But it it feels like if when teams are not up to full fitness, and this is where you might come in in terms of they're all probably going to be at slightly different levels depending on their preparation. And I know they will be at different levels throughout the season because some teams are just generally fitter than others. 
But it does feel like mm. sometimes it takes teams two or three weeks to get up to the top level, right? They're all coming back off holiday. They're all working through various different stages of fitness. It feels like that can be a little bit of a leveller in the opening game week. So, for example, we saw Man City perform pretty poorly, I think, in the Community Shield in game week one. I think it was even against Spurs maybe after the so they were pretty poor against Leicester in the Community Shield, and then I think they were pretty poor against Spurs game week one. And Spurs were actually horrific at this point, if people remember. Mm. Um, and then they sort of found their stride, right? So I'm not saying that's going to happen again by any extreme, but it's it's not impossible to imagine a world where Man City aren't at the races and Bowen does okay in that fixture, better than maybe people would expect later on, and then they have those good fixtures, right? So it's stuff like that. that um, is that useful to bear in mind when we're picking our teams, or is it not useful? This is what we're trying to discover. I'm not, I'm not ultimately sure. Um, it's interesting you've described that as a, a pitchfork moment, uh, because... I think, probably, I think there probably is some truth in it because often when there's like fixed to release day and just talking about football fans in general here, not just for FPL, you get people that will say, oh, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you've got to play um, 38 matches. You play every team twice. So actually, it doesn't really matter when you play everyone. But I think it, I think you're right. I think it does. I genuinely think you probably would rather play, for example, Man City first, just because probably your best chance of beating them is just something not clicking within their team. Mm-hmm. Your chance of beating them is always minimal. But like, there's got to be something that goes wrong, or you get lucky, and maybe that's, like, maybe that's more luckily on the first day. I don't know. Like, I'm speculating. I don't know if there's any data behind that, mm. or if it's been well researched. But that like strikes me as that might be true. Um, and then during, and you don't don't want to play Man City, I guess, during like a congested period, like around Christmas, because of their squad depth, they'll be better relative to other teams during that period because they can rotate. So actually, mm. a period like now, like now to play them, like might be might be better because. Your players are probably just as fit as each other. Whereas if you play them during a congested period, um, <laughs> your team is going to be tired, more tired than theirs because mm. they can they can rotate so much in comparison to you. So th- I think there probably is some truth in that. But yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pre- we can't predict. No, no, and there's variance in it in any given one week anyway. To the point where um, it's probably better just to bear the fixture strength in mind over the top of that. But I think that there's also, you can look at the commercial side, right? A lot of the top teams, they fly their players all around the, the world playing in all these different countries, more to appease fans and um, for money, I would say, rather than the actual uh, benefit of the players. I think some of the, the lower level teams, I know they they all kind of do that now, but it's not quite to the same level. You know, they're competing in cups and stuff in China and stuff straight away. I'm not sure how useful that is to the players in terms of fitness. But anyway, we're going down a whole different path. Um, no, we'll discuss that another time, definitely, though. We will, yeah, definitely. Okay, what I've brought up on the screen here, guys, and it's going to take me a little while to explain it, but I think it's absolutely excellent. Um, you can see here at the very top, hopefully, um, the text isn't too small. This is game weeks one to six. So this is the horizon that we've got at the moment on the free version of FPL Review. So this data is taken from FPL Review by at FPL underscore Chase. Very intelligent guy. I highly recommend you following him. He puts out great stuff all the time. He's taken that um, review data and he's used the optimization model by Serti Bilal. I'm not sure if I've said that name correctly. I apologize if not. Who's also another incredibly intelligent guy who uses FPL Optimize, another website that you guys should look at if you haven't already. Um, and what's he done here? So obviously in review, you have uh, an expected value, an EV of a player over those six weeks. So over six weeks, for argument's sake, let's say Salah's expected to score 20 points. Um, so what he's done, he's added some randomised noise in there because in reality, will Salah score 20 points over those six weeks? Well, probably, probably not. Probably he'll score a few more, a few less, or there could be extremes. So he's added a randomised figure to that. 
um, and he's run it for a simulation a hundred times. So he's asked the computer to pick a set and forget, no transfers team for the first six weeks and added randomized noise to their expected value, okay, across those six weeks. And the computer has come back and said, okay, these are the players that I've picked that amount of times out of 100. And obviously their, their scores have slightly varied around that. So I find this very, very interesting. And this is obviously based on the information FPL review at this point. So this will change as the season goes on, as teams make signings. I say we'll have maybe an eight-week version. We'll have the paid version, which will be slightly better. Um, all sorts of different things. So we're only talking about as of right now. But the computer likes those players. So it's picks, for example, here. The screen's quite small. It's Allison. I think it's 58% or 55%. Sorry, I can barely see it. Uh, and Edison as well, really highly in those six weeks of set and forget. Now, that surprised me a little bit. I know they've come down in price by 0.5, the goalkeepers. Um, but yeah, is anything there surprise you? I mean, again, Trent, 100%. We're not, it's not messing around the computer there. It, it, it loves him. Um, I think, yeah. I think and, and the thing that's helpful to like share here is the fact that, um, yeah, like this is all relative to pricing, isn't it? So, for example, Andreas, you can see there, that's Andreas Pereira, who's just mm. signed from Man United to Fulham. That's not saying he's the third highest scoring uh, player. It's no. just he would, he would be frequently in teams because he's the best player within that price bracket. Probably this is what this is indicating. The so structure. He's a helpful example to kind of like understand it. It's like how they fit into the structure. Mm -hmm. So I think that what, that's what makes this really interesting. It, it actually takes that into account as well, rather than just looking at the overall prices. Uh, same as you, the goalkeepers surprised me, the fact that they're so much higher. Um, we obviously know they've got very good fixtures, but I just, I'm just so happy they've done that and reduced the prices of the premium keepers because it makes them really viable. Um, mm. And that's, that's a really, really interesting position. Um, and then another one, uh, if you look at defenders, there are a, a few there that surprises me. This is one that one thing that, that surprises me there is that Robertson is only at 28% of what he might be higher. Mm. Um, yet Diaz is also really low under the, uh, the midfielders as well, only 10%. So that maybe suggests that we can only go with two Liverpool players. Um, or with two plus uh, Allison for double defence might be mm. optimal. So I think I think that's interesting. And then that's Anki. <laughs> that has really surprised me. And yeah. I guess that's a price thing again. It will be, yeah. So essentially the model's saying if you want to pick at this moment in time, and also, by the way, we've just heard today that Jota got injured, right? So maybe that would be affected again already um, because that would presumably up Luis Diaz's minutes slightly, which is taken into account here. But the model is essentially saying you want to pick Allison. Um, Salah and Trent. I mean, that's what the computer did most of the time to get the, the best result. Um, and do I hate that? I don't, I'm not sure if I do, because it is, again, if you're only focusing on six weeks and you're not looking to spend transfers on your Liverpool players, I don't particularly have a problem with, I mean, I certainly don't have a problem with Trent Alexander-Arnold Alexander and Salah. Um, it's just, do I want Alisson over Robertson? Um, it says that Allison is 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 better for the solution. I mean, I, I think that's really interesting because I don't know about you, but I struggled really badly with goalkeepers last season. I think many people did. Oh. I, I don't think it was a good season for goalkeepers in general. Each had their moment briefly, Ramsdale in particular. And this season, they've been a bit kinder in the pricing. So it kind of now is sort of saying to me, well, you can solve your problems. You can just pick Allison or Edison and they're probably going to pay um, well, they are, unless they get injured, all six games in this game week. And how many clean sheets could they get out of them? Probably a decent amount. You'd say half or maybe even over, um, potentially. Mm. So considering I'm going to factor in that early wild card as well, 
that's what it's saying to do. It, it feels instinctively wrong. So this is my first fight against the machine moment. It's like, I don't want really to do that if I can help it, but um, yeah. it's kind of making sense to me. I mean, some of the other goalkeepers, I think in particular, what we're just talking about, of, of there's sort of issues around them now, right? I think Raya and Sanchez are quite popular in the community. I think that's pretty obvious reasons. They're both decent goalkeepers in very decent sides who have got decent fixtures and they're 4.5 million. So that's normally where I'd be looking. Raya's um, maybe just had some competition signed for him. It's not quite clear. And then with Sanchez, you've got the issue of maybe they've sold Bissouma. Potentially Cucurella's going. I'm not really sure how good Sanchez is as a goalkeeper overall as well, but should I be factoring in? I'm not sure. Like, so I think there's issues around those two keepers. Yeah, I think with um, with Raya as well, there was some news today I read from like a, just read from a good source on Twitter that it was either saying that Raya wanted to leave or that the club were willing to let him leave. I can't remember which way around it was. Um, so I think it's possible that that keeper, whose name mm. I can't can't remember, I apologise. Uh, not apologising to him. He'll <laughs> uh, <laughs> be all right. Yeah, in case he's watching. Um, um, yeah, so it's possible that he will be replaced completely. But Brentford are interesting. So for the season, for last season, they were eighth for expected goals conceded. But actually, if you look throughout the season at a rolling 10-game average, they actually increased. They, their defence got better as the season went on um, as well and was particularly good within the last couple of months. And a similar Brighton, they were sixth last season for expected goals conceded so they have a good defense and we know mm. that from the season before as well it's good long-term data with them but clearly he is a very good defensive manager um as well and they, they also like i think sanders got quite un, well unlucky may, unlucky maybe last season or maybe it's a it, no it's probably a sign of him being potentially a poor it's either him being a poor shot stopper or poor finishing because they conceded more than their expected mm. goals, particularly in the early games. I remember that. So similar to you, I had big problems with keepers, and I was so bad at picking goalkeepers last year. For some mm. reason, like this is such a bad decision, right? I massively overthought it and started with Backman from Watford. Uh, it just it just annoys me so much when I look back last <laughs> season. And it was all based on the fact that I think Backman, like Watford's defence, was really good in the uh, in the, championship, like, the yeah. second half of the championship since the new manager came in. They, it wasn't even good. It was just they hadn't conceded many goals. Their expected goals conceded was actually not as good. <laughs> and Sanchez was the most obvious pick for 4.5 with like a really good defence. Mm. And I just for some, just some reason overthought it. And then when lots of people wildcarded, I went for Sanchez and lots of Sanchez owners went for Ramsdale instead because they were getting frustrated because Sanchez wasn't getting that many clean sheets. I thought oh, I'm going to go safe now with Sanchez and it flipped and Ramsdale started doing really well. So mm. um, I also struggled... Um, with that, yeah, but I think it's interesting. Like, I've not at the moment my draft hasn't got Allison or Edison in it, but I think I would consider it more having looked at this. I think that's a, probably like a generally, like, generally, that's a helpful point to make now is that we both like using models and I think FBL review is the best one um, um, for, for FBL. Uh, but we don't, you just don't, you don't just suddenly take it as gospel, do you? You've got to put your own thought into it, you've got to think about minutes, how that applies to the structure of your team, etc. And it's interesting to see how this puts that into the context of a structure of a team. Absolutely. And I think I just think um, if we're going to be wild carding early, we don't have to, you know, it's not like you have to stay on these players forever. You know, it might be that the model after six or eight weeks would, would not fancy them. This is just simply in a set and forget one to six. So it's important to say that. Um, Alison may even picked up an injury today or something. I think Klopp gave an update of some sort of injury involving him. Edison just appeals more than Alison to me simply because nailing three Man City players that are going to play each week is slightly tougher. So that's the kind of thing you're talking about there, I think, where although the model obviously is judging all this as well, um, 
that's where our expected minutes, you know, it is only a judgment at the end of the day. And it, that will get better as the season goes along with Man City in particular. Um, and it could be that it's just a nightmare. It could be that Pep just decides he's going to rotate even more than last season for, for whatever reason. So I think yeah. Edison's quite cool there. Um, I'm have you got, bring up? Sorry, I was going to say, have you got the list of goalkeepers? Yeah, I've just brought the list of goalkeepers up here. I don't want to spend, we've already spent quite a lot of time yeah. on goalkeepers, but I do think it is interesting. So these are the sort of main, uh, in fact, you can talk through it, can't you? Because we've got basically the keepers that are expected to score the most amount of points over the six weeks. Yeah, so this is, this is using the same uh, data that Luke mentioned before. Um, in terms of this is the based on an algorithm, based on underlying data, what they the, the amount of points you they would be expected to get within each of the game weeks mm-hmm. based on that data, and then, so they're sorted by the total amount in terms of the total amount of points within the first six game weeks there, and the the column next to total is their points per million um, as well, which is interesting to look at for value of course, and I, th- I think yeah Allison uh, is top of this for those of you listening with expected to get 25 points, Edison then 24 points. And then you've got a few between 22 and 20 points. Uh, the keepers we've mentioned in terms of Raya, Sanchez, Ramsdale from last season. But I guess Mendy and Lloris are interesting ones because Lloris is uh, priced 0.5 higher, the same as Edison and Allison, mm. um, whereas Mendy's 0.5 lower. And I guess that's based on last season's um, scores. So Lloris scored 158, Mendy scored 130. But is that the best thing to go off? Maybe Mendy's actually better value because Chelsea's defence overall was better than Spurs' last season. And one of the reasons they will have got less points is because Mendy missed, I think, four or five games at AFCON. And so I was surprised to see how big that, yeah, the fact that they weren't the same price. I thought they'd either both be 5.5 with Edison Allison or both five. Mm. Um, I think what they've done there is they've they've judged Chelsea on obviously the outgoings, the fact that Rudiger's left. Mm. Um, you know, now they're making, it seems like they're making quite a few signings at this moment. Um, and Chelsea's defence was a little bit lopsided at the end, but God knows how FPL are doing their prices. To be honest, some of them baffle me. Anyway, I think I think Hugo being five point five is fine. I think I'd probably have put Mendy there as well. To be honest, I think Mendy's the one that shouldn't be. Um, Luis makes a lot of saves. He actually, you know, if he was five, I think he would be the standout keeper by quite a distance. I think um, it's interesting based on what you just said there, because the, even though they've had outgoings in defence with Rudiger their main centre-back leaving. They've just signed... Um, have they just signed Koulibaly? Or it's looking very likely they'll sign him? Yeah, like and Kimbembe from uh, PSG as well. So it looks like they're making all the right moves. I mean, you could argue... I mean, with Rudiger, he, he, is a, he was a very useful player in the Premier League and he, he was good, don't get me wrong. But I think there's been periods where he hasn't been at his very best and I think Tuchel really, really helped him. So how good he is compared to some of those other guys. Obviously, that's always up for question when they move into our league. But I wouldn't be surprised that there's not a massive loss there by replacing with another... You know, equally or possibly better defender. Another, another one I'd mentioned, Luke, that's not on this list is Sam Johnston could become really good value. Yeah, Palace. So, mm. so Palace are uh, so last season they were seventh for expected goals conceded, I believe seventh, I think. Um, but yeah, really did really well defensively. That might have been to do with Vieira coming in. Um, however, Guayata, I don't know how to pronounce that, is fairly old now and is like in his mid thirties, I think. Um, Whereas Sam Johnston is extreme, an extremely good goalkeeper. Like a, he's too, way too good for the championship. So I think they probably signed him to compete with him. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if he starts in the first game week. But it'd be interesting to get the perspective of Palace fans on that, I think. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it's too much risk at this point. If the game week started tomorrow, it'd be too much risk to start with either um, because you don't know what's going to happen, I guess. 
it's, it's also the fixtures, right? I really do like Sam Johnston as well. I think he's, um, I mean, I had Guita last season and he let me down, but the data was extremely good. So I'm willing to say, you know, that's bad luck. And I really should have got more for what, for what I invested in. Yeah, I agree. I think he will replace him. It's just the opening fixtures for Palace, uh, isn't it? At the end of the day, if we're looking for that sort of six, seven, eight week wild card, unfortunately, I just they're right near the bottom, aren't they? So, yeah, yeah that might be one for the future. I think. And that, that's the thing. It's not just the fact that Allison and Edison are cheaper than normal, um, which is important because they, if you look at the end of the season, the difference between the best keepers um, and the like good four point five keepers that used to be like one point five uh, less is like 30 or 40 points. So it's mm. always just like a no-brainer to go for a 4.5. But it's not just that change in price, it's the opening fixtures and the fact we might only need them for those opening fixtures. Yeah. And then then after six, say we wildcarding, uh, say that you decide to wildcard in game week eight, by then you might have a really good idea. Suddenly it might be really obvious that Johnston's a really good value keeper and you get him. Or it might be obvious it's Sanchez. And at that point you can then decide, but you've picked a reliable option early on. Um, but normally, most seasons, I would just always go 4.5 keeper and a 4.0 keeper. But it's a, a lot more interesting. Yeah. It's also the, I mean, that's always the case when we look back, but it's also about identifying which one of those 4.5s will be the key. Right? It's always very good to say, yeah, this one was good and he was very close to the top goalkeepers. But who? That's the tricky part. It's a very safe pair of hands to have that, um, you know, go for the Allison or Edison. It's almost clockwork that these guys are hitting around 20 clean sheets every season. I think I looked at the average and it's it's there or thereabouts nearly every season, almost regardless of manager, system, whatever. So, um, yeah, it doesn't mean that's definitely going to happen again, but it feels quite safe that it will be around that again. But anyway, we've done goalkeepers to death. To push you, who's in your draft at the moment? I'll say Mark Sanchez is in mine. He's got the, he's got the highest PPM on there, uh, nice fixtures, and he's cheap enough. I may be swayed, but it's Sanchez at the moment. Yeah, Raya is in mine at the moment. There's a fixtures yeah. as well. After the first fixture, they've got good fixtures. Absolutely. Okay, so let's go back quickly to the defenders on this slide uh, that we had before. We've got Trent, James, Perisic, Johnny, Diaz right near the top, um, which was quite surprising to me. I think in terms, in terms of Johnny, I wasn't 100% sure, but there's obviously the value. The, the machine likes it a lot. FPL mm-hmm. Review likes them a lot. And we've gone back to um, FPL Review and picked the, the top players in terms of point potential. Don't see his name in there, but that's obviously because it's based on the value as well and the structure of the team. We've got lots of uh, players that are obviously very popular um, that I'm seeing on the Twitter teams and in general ownership on the site for obvious reasons. Um, I don't think there's any point discussing Trent, is there? No, honestly, if you don't have Trent in your draft, just buy him. <laughs> um, mm. I think like in general, we're doing this kind of thing. You don't want to like tell people you have to own this player, but just buy Trent, honestly, because it's he's 0.5 more than Robertson. If you look at the under, even though they got a fairly similar score last year, if you look at the underlying data for the season, and also look at what Trent's done, not just last season, but over the last three or four. Yeah, there's no comparison. So Trent, Trent's expected goal involvement last uh, season was 0.44. So that's goals and assists, expected goals and expected assists combined. So you're expecting basically a goal or an assist, mainly assists. You're basically expecting an assist every like two or three games with Trent. Like he's got the potential to get the most assists in the league, for example. And so he's just he's just ridiculous value at 7.5. Mm. Um, like yeah. I, I don't know. I think I might own Trent if he was like nine. Yeah, uh, I... it's all like yeah, it's relative to other prices, isn't it? But I think even relative to generally prices being low, he's too low still. So I'd mm. say just that's there's no competition between him and the others. Uh, but I think most people will be making a decision of whether they have Robertson or like Allison and Diaz, and then whether they have James or Chilwell or like Perisic. I think they're the interesting ones. Do you think? Do you think? 
as Mr. Man City? <laughs> do you think Cancelo should just be in everyone's teams, Luke, or do you think it's more of a decision when you uh, like bear in mind the potential of their centre-backs, for example, and the other options like the Chelsea and Spurs players? Yeah, this is where I'm slightly conflicted. Cancelo's in my team and he, I can't see him leaving at all. I think he is definitely one of the picks that um, should be in most people's team. Again, I would never tell anyone to do any what They can do whatever they like in FPL, of course. Um, but the machines don't necessarily agree with that right now. You know, the review and stuff, they, they like him a lot. And I think actually FPL Review said that the paid version likes him even more than it does in this free version. Um but considering he is 7 million and the alternatives, I don't think it is like a you have to have him on those trend levels. I think there is a conversation to be had at least. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm just a man, you know, the, the, it's far better at judging it than I am. So um, yeah. I, I'd go with that. But one thing I will say is he did, and I know it's how this translates in the stats, Cancelo had a hell of a lot of shots last season. Uh, I think he had the most of all defenders, something around 80 or something. Um, I think he actually underperformed uh, in general on his on his XG. I think he only scored one goal all season. And now, if you watch Cancelo, you would say that's crazy. Now, yeah. bear in mind, he did score goals in other competitions, right? So all we need is that little bit of variance where those goals actually, you know, two or three of those shots go in as goals um, in in the Premier League rather than other competitions. And suddenly, you know, he starts to look even more appealing. He's these fullbacks that create, we know they dominate the bonus anyway. If they get one assist in a clean sheet, they're probably getting three bonus or very, very close to it. Um, and they're keeping clean sheets in about half the games, as we've already discussed, Liverpool and Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. So when you combine those and you look at it and think seven million, you know, unless they're... The thing with Kinsella was always expecting minutes. Last season, he put that to bed. That could change. I'm open to that. But right now, I can't see myself not having... I think he's only really got a chance of getting better. I think player profile as he's evolving the role, you could mm. argue with a striker. Again, this is more pitchfork stuff. If now they've got a proper striker up front, they're playing a slightly different system. Could that actually help Cancelo? A lot of those speculative shots, for example, do they bounce back out and Haaland's there to tap them in? That's part of his role. Um, you obviously get an assist for that in FPL. Wouldn't be surprised if we get more fantasy assists for Cancelo as yeah. a result. Um, yeah, he's in my team. I, I can't see that changing. I think Perisic and Chilwell, for me, are the two... I'd love to have, but I don't have enough defender slots. I'm not sure which one of them or if I even go without any of them. I think those ones are trickier, especially in the case of Perisic, expected minutes, because that's talk in the community at the moment. And Chilwell, I love, again, it's the system and the recent big injury, right, that slightly have those nagging doubts on, on me. And where do you stand on those two guys? Because they're tough, I think. Yeah. Um, Perisic seems like he's good value, but I don't know... Um, yeah, I'm probably less confident as other people in terms of how regularly he's going to start. So I think he's definitely first choice. But I, I could see the the wing backs being rotated a lot because you've got other players there still, like Doc. Um, Doc as he still plays for them. Yeah. Um, uh, Regulon's still there, but looks like he's going to leave. Um, who's the other right back? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Emerson. Yeah, they're, they're signing. Jed, they're yeah. signing Jed Spence as well, aren't they? Possibly. They're signing, so there's so yeah, that that um, worries me a little bit, but. Uh, so I looked at his, his data uh, from last season and his expected goal involvement is 0.42, so sim similar to Trent's. And actually a higher proportion of that is from XG as well. So mm. 0.16 XG per 90 and 0.25 expected assists per 90, whereas Trent's a lot higher in assists. Yeah. So you may so if you, if you just translate it completely across to the Premier League, which it doesn't, uh, but if you could do that, then you'd maybe expect Perisic to get even more points if he was in exactly the same team as Trent. 
and playing <laughs> if it was that simple which is not for lots of different reasons but that does show that he's ultimately is a good attacking wing back um so i think it's an inter- i think it's really interesting because he's 5.5 so i think that's a really good price um at the moment uh, i don't have him in my team um but that's because i've got james and chilwell at the moment which i know probably seems quite bold thinking about it now and with those two i suppose the key thing is that again like james isn't that far off Trent in terms of his expected goal involvement and similar with Perisic, to Perisic, there's more chance of getting a goal than Trent yeah. does probably based on the minutes, isn't it? And this is where you've got to put it into context. So even though James is close to Trent in terms of per 90, like he's going to play nowhere near as many 90 minutes, you'd expect. Mm. So so this is where like the minutes thing and why we want to discuss it so much on this podcast is key, but it's tricky to discuss now when we've not got a lot to go off in, in, in previous matches. Um, that, that, that's it. That's some, Perisic feels very much to me one that I hate to use preseason as a guide in anything in terms of form and scoring. But if Perisic is playing a lot of minutes in that role, getting up to speed, you know, I don't care if he's scoring or not. That I'm not interested in any of that. I think that is going to go a long way to guide us, you know, yeah. as, as to whether he's one to pick. And we have to remind ourselves we are only probably picking this, you know, these these teams for six to eight weeks. So. Yeah, you could convince yourself maybe Perisic only plays five or six of the games, but I wonder if that's going to be more of a factor across the board with this, um, you know, these these squads now are just so good and we are picking in the main players from these top teams that have top squads. So it's not impossible that, you know, someone like Diaz, for example, who's got stones for competition, could he miss one or two? Suddenly if he misses one or two, it starts to level it all back out, right? So, yeah. Yeah, it's one to guide us through pre-season, I think. I'm a big fan of Perisic as, a, as an option. I really do like it, but um, we're going to have to have more info on that, aren't we, unfortunately, I think. Uh, yeah, and uh, one just last couple of things before we go on to midfielders as well. I wanted to mention Laporte and Diaz are interesting, and you can maybe touch on this, Luke, but there's also Stones there, and Stones will want, <laughs> again, a bit of a narrative thing, Stones will want minutes going to the World Cup. Um Laporte and Diaz will as well, <laughs> by the way. Um, but this base space, there's three players for those two spots ultimately, isn't there? A centre back. Mm. As far as I'm aware, all three of them are fully fit, I think. Yeah. Um, so again, so maybe a little bit risky going for one of those two because Stone because there's been periods over the last couple of seasons where Stone's played really regularly and he's almost like been the main centre back. So I yeah, I tweeted like a couple of weeks ago say like suggesting that maybe Laporte could be good value in comparison to Cancelo as an as an alternative or Diaz, but I think I've changed my mind since then, since chatting to you and you mentioning Stones um, as well. And the last thing I was going to mention is based on what you've said there in terms of preseason. I'm with you on that. There's not a lot we can read into it, particularly with like players scoring. But it's very interesting with new signings, seeing where they're playing, tactically how teams change if they have a new manager, for example. I think you can pick things up there. Mm. But I would say generally teams in the last in their last friendly will play a team that's exactly the same or very similar to the team that plays in game week one. So I'd say that very last friendly is a really interesting one and probably gives you a very good idea who's likely to start that first game mm. or at least the last game against really competitive opposition. So they might play a game against another, say a La Liga team, for example, then there might be another random friendly against a League One or League Two team. You can probably guess that their main team is being played. You can just, just by... Uh, basic logic you know there's a good idea with one of those last games that that's going to be the lineup for the first game um yeah. i think that generally happens quite a lot from my experience of watching football and knowing what teams do so yeah that's something to look out for with perisic i guess yeah that's the common thing um 
Just quickly on, I don't want to spend too long on it because uh, it is a, a lot of speculation on Diaz um, and and also Laporte. We just know from previous seasons, like I said, Laporte was cast aside almost the season beforehand. He was even, in fact, due to leave at one point. Um, and then he came back from the dead and played virtually every game. Um, I think there was almost a requirement. With Pep, with Pep, a lot of it's former. Right? Laporte played well, so he stayed in. But there's also the fact that he didn't really have a left footer back there. And Pep loves this kind of inside-outside on the fullback. Yeah, can set up left back on the right foot. He likes the passing angles. Laporte served a purpose. You could argue if Cucurella comes in at left back and he's got that side with the left foot and you've got maybe Cancelo at right back, does he need Laporte as much? We had the period last season, in fact, it might have been the season before now, where Stones and Diaz played about 11, 12 games together, I think. In fact, it was not last season, it was the season before. And they kept like something like 10 clean sheets in that run and they were absolutely immaculate. I think Stones has been fantastic. The season just gone. Every game he played, I can't remember a single mistake he played. I would say that Diaz was slightly below his standard last season in general. And then after his injury, he was slightly ropey. But that's a little bit harsh to him because obviously it was a big injury. Back to the pressure point, he came straight into the team. So I don't judge too much on that. And Laporte had some slightly iffier moments. He was very good as a fantasy pick, but sometimes there was a few iffy moments in defence. I... The bottom line is I don't think anything's set in stone. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Stones set and Diaz. Stone. Yeah, if it was Laporte and Stones and Diaz dropped out. I don't think it's like one of those ones where you go for Diaz and Laporte over Cancelo because you think they're more nailed. If anything, I would say Cancelo's probably more nailed than those guys, at least to begin the season. Mm-hmm. And I think what it, all it could take is one or two bad performances and the players are all so good. I mean, Stones yeah. really, he, he deserves to play in my opinion, but that's another matter. Right. Just, let, really let's, interesting. Yeah, let's move on from... Def- and he's, he's a threat as well, isn't he? I think Stones and Laporte are very, very big threats in general. Um, well, comparatively, for centre-backs, they are pretty good yeah, at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. OK, let's move on to midfielders. So let's just remind ourselves quickly what the what the machine likes. It likes Salah, Saka and Pereira, obviously, for the structure. It's got Mount very high there, which is surprising. Uh, Mares, which always comes out pretty good on these things because expecting goal involvement is very, very good. It's always a minutes issue with that guy. Uh, and there's probably a few other surprise names. I'm not going to list them all cheaper down. Again, they're fitting into the structure. It shows you where it's spending its money more than more than anything. Uh, when we bring up the midfielders again for the top expected points over six weeks, got some very obvious names up there. Again, similar to Trent, I don't think it's the point discussing Salah. I think everyone's going to have him. I don't even want to waste time there. I, I'm not really open to the opinion of just not having him. You look at the difference in the points total, the fixtures, captain armband, let's not waste any time. Obviously, if you don't want to have him, spread the money, do whatever, that's fine. <laughs> Variance could, could mean that you end up getting lucky on that, but I don't think it's a good idea. Um, De Bruyne and Son are interesting, though, so I think maybe we should talk about those, and in particular the 8 million bracket as well, which is obviously very popular. So Son, let's start with him over De Bruyne. Uh, Obviously fantastic last season, big price jump, good games. It's hard to not make a case for him, I think, but it's I don't see him in many teams. So what's your thoughts there? Uh, First, I just love him. (laughs) What a player. Mm. Um, I wish he's one of those players I always want to own. Um, and I wish I'd owned him more at the end of last season. Um, I just personally, I don't think it's possible to get him in. Well, I'm sorry, it's definitely possible for me. I've found it hard to get him in because I really want Salah and uh, Holland, which Holland, which we'll come to. Um, but if you're going with three players, uh, he would, it would be him or Kane. I would have as the third rather than De Bruyne. 
um, I think. Um, and, and the reason for that is, um, I guess, what is the reason for that? I guess there's a few things. I guess the fact that um, Kane uh, is also on penalties and the fact that he might other otherwise have other Man City players. So within um, City's team, you've got other avenues like Foden and Grealish who are cheaper that like maybe will pick up points. And I'd imagine Holland probably getting a lot of goals, whereas Son and Kane are just like the two main men within their team, um, which make them more attractive. Um, and I think with De Bruyne as well, well, he tends to play, doesn't he, when he's fit? Luke, particularly this time of the season, when they're yeah. not in the Champions League, so that's probably overplayed. But maybe like generally more likely to go off early, I guess. Um, I, I, th I think it, for me, it's just flat out on De Bruyne. I don't think he's worth 12 million. I think he's very much more towards the assist side. He can throw... He overperformed on his XG for goals massively, and it's not a surprise because he's a fantastic player and he can strike the ball so well. And we all know his long range, long range shooting is brilliant. But it's more the point distribution, isn't it? I think, you know, I wouldn't expect De Bruyne to score as many goals as Sun, especially without penalties. I, I can't envisage a world where that happens. Um, yeah. So I think that that does play a, a big part actually. Um, I would it, say yeah. he's expecting minutes in a game. Sun goes off early and arguably De Bruyne could do if they're winning the game comfortably, but otherwise I think he stays on. So if anything, I think De Bruyne's probably got slightly higher expected minutes in my mind, in an individual game anyway, I think. Interesting. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's helpful to chat to you because you've thought it through so much, particularly with the Man City players. No, it's a really good point in De Bruyne. I like the end of last season, he, well, he scored those four goals against Wolves, didn't he, in one game. But in general, like a lot of his goals are, were, were low XG. Um, um, but the thing is with Son, he's done that for years. So we know that when Son does that, although it was in the extreme towards the end of last year, we know generally he will overperform his XG. Well, I guess historically De Bruyne has not done that. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think De Bruyne's slightly overperformed, but again, it's not really in the goal scoring, in, in actual yeah, XG exactly. more than anything else. Um, yeah, I, I really would love to have Son. I think this is what you're going to see across all people and podcasts. It's how to fit him in when you've got that. Salah and Haaland for most people structure with Trent um, but I'm not opposed to it I do think if you can for example decide you, you don't want to go to up with Haaland and you want to go for a, a power midfield or something I don't have a problem with it I don't think it's I personally wouldn't sacrifice Salah for it but I think um, sacrificing one of the others um, or, or compensating somewhere else is not particularly a problem yeah yeah, yeah it, I, I, I agree on that I actually wouldn't go for if I went for a third player I'd go for Kane actually Okay. We'll come, we'll come to, and it's mainly because of penalties, um, I guess, because I think they're both such good goal scorers. And, um, you know, we've seen how much they're both involved in goals in terms of assisting and scoring uh, from each other's assists. You know, they've got the record for that, haven't they, in the Premier League year already? Mm. And probably still a few more seasons together. Um, but I think Kane, in general, last season, uh, like particularly the first half of the year, he was really poor, wasn't he? I don't know how much of that to do was with the Man, was to do with the Man City speculation. But like second half of the season, he was so good still. Um, and I just think when a player is on penalties, say Spurs happen to start badly, like they could still get three penalties in the first six games. That can just happen. So mm. I think there's always a chance. Like your player can play badly or your team can play badly. And you've always got a chance with a penalty taker. So I just love a, yeah, love a penalty taker. That's the main reason I'd probably go for him. Um, sticking to mid midfielders, in terms of those 8 million players, that's really interesting. Um Mara's is similar to James in terms of what I mentioned before, like his underlying data is so good, but per 90 minutes, and it's whether you'll think you'll have the minutes. So I think he's a really interesting one to discuss. Um, but he's still, even now, I guess he's still got a lot of competition on that side, even with um, Sterling leaving. 
Um, because you've got you've still got Grealish, Foden, Mares, um, and Alvarez uh, as well. So it's three players and Palmer, yeah, who's Palmer. So five five players for two positions, and Foden can play on the right, can't he? It's Mm. it's only really Grealish of those five who I guess you wouldn't expect to play on the right at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why I find Mares tricky. But again, he's similar to Son, and I always love the idea of owning him. (laughs) Yeah, for some reason, he's one of those players where I can never, I never seem to time it right. No, I, th- I think that's a common theme amongst everyone. Yeah. I think I put out a tweet once. Whenever it seems like a good o- idea to own Mares, it's not. It's literally every time you do a free hit, basically, or a wild card team, and it's like the fixtures are double. Just, yeah, he's uh, he's got a, a long history of that. I do think Mares. I expect Haaland will take penalties away from Mares, and that was a big part of his appeal for me. The fact that he could hit those huge hauls, still have some of the set pieces when he plays. I'm not sure he will play all that much. Maybe I've got that wrong, but I just feel that Mares is pressing is slightly worse. I think they're adapting with Haaland in the team and it's going to take him a while to get up to that as well. Does Pep want to have two players in the team at the point where the team's not at its biggest fitness doing donkey work, which every player has to do? I'm not sure. Um, speculative. For me, the ones Foden and Diaz, there. if you look at their expected minutes that they've got down at the moment, 67 and 65 for those guys. I think Foden's slightly higher than that. Um, you know, if I was to, and that's part of this, is sort of tweaking it to your to your desire, right? Sometimes you tweak it to the point where it makes sense to you and you've gone too far. I understand that. But I, I think if we were to put Foden's up slightly there, because I do think Pep will find a place for him, wherever that be, maybe. Um, and I think with Diaz, with the Jota injury, is probably now slightly higher as well. And I think that would jump those two right near the top of the list for me. I think they'd probably go above Mount. And I think that's... Interesting. I think that's where I go. I know people say Mount is totally, you know, he's more nailed and stuff. He's got 79 minutes there. So it's, it's definitely, um, you know, representative of being more nailed than the other guys. But I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I do feel like Mount does occasionally drop out um, a little bit more than sometimes we realise. They've signed Sterling, mm. you know, another player that can play in a similar position. Mount plays in the front three, essentially. So he, he I don't know if Mount is quite as nailed as we think, but the algorithms do really, really like him. Instinct make, makes me want to go with Foden or Diaz over them, but ultimately, Mount. So as I said, do you reckon we could see Mount move to where he plays for England? So for England, Mount plays in the, the most advanced of the midfield three, doesn't he? Um, in the number ten role. Like, do you reckon we could see that happen at Chelsea with Sterling plays consistently on the left, and they've got other options on the right? And I guess um, Alberts is the main striker, or do you reckon Tuchel sees him mainly as a front three player? It's very tricky, isn't it? It's very hard to know, because Sterling, for me, plays generally best if he's... He can play all across the front three, but he generally yeah. plays best as a... as a Basically, for England, is where he plays best as a foil with off of Kane, right? It's pretty much something similar, and they don't really have... Lukaku going back that situation. Havertz creates the space. Is he going to use Sterling as a false nine? Similar to what Havertz does, I can't see it. It's probably going to be on the wing, like you say. There's speculation whether Chelsea would even keep a back five at this point. I think it's just far too early to say. I know that's a a very fence-sitting answer. Instinctively, I think he would probably be on the wing working off of a forward if they signed another one or Havertz. And he'd still be a very good option because I think he's been a good option ever since he's been in in FPL, pretty much. Um, again, similar to Sun on Sterling, it's tricky to find the 10 million. It's just the way that the teams have been structured, but it's really hard to, to find a place for him. But I think mm. he, he's someone that everyone will be watching. I don't doubt that. Um, yeah. you know, whether you're into analytics or not, we're talking about a player who's hit a phenomenal amount of goals in certain, in certain seasons. And 
You could even say with Chelsea, if Jorginho's not on the pitch, they've had penalties spread around a little bit. Mount's taken a few, etc. But Sterling has taken a few from Man City. He's a new signing who comes in. Yeah, these are things that we might find out with more information. So I think for me, it's kind of a watching berth on Sterling. But it is interesting. I'm, I'm really interested to see how he fits into that team. It reminds me of, it reminds me of the situation with Jesus because they both got really bad penalty records. Yeah. Um, but there, for both of them, there have been people speculating about them moving to their new team and being on penalties. Mm. And if you look at the in reality, they probably shouldn't be if you look at their record. Mm. Um, so that's an interesting one. And that uh, the last thing I was going to mention was in terms of Saka. Um, yeah, again, like we've we mentioned penalties quite a lot because it is actually quite a big thing. Mm. Um, I don't think we know who's on penalties at Arsenal. It could be Saka. No. Could be Martinelli. Like there was a period where Saka took two in a row. One was when Martinelli wasn't on the pitch, and the second one was when Martinelli had like literally just come onto the pitch in stoppage time, and it was right at the end of the game. And Arteta said something in, in his interview after the game about how he was surprised that Martinelli didn't take it. Mm. And, th- and then we saw Martinelli take the one in the last game of the season when they were both on the pitch. So yeah, I think it could easily be Martinelli on penalties, which is big for uh, would make a big difference to Saka. Love him as a player though, um, and they've got oh, yeah, fantastic player. brilliant opening fixtures. So he's definitely one to to strongly consider. And I think, in terms of people's structure, I think there could be quite a few people with like two eight million players. I think that's possible, and going really cheap on the other two midfielders. With yeah, and I think the appeal of Saka, even though his expected minutes there are slightly less than Mount. Again, when we're looking at in terms of starts, I think I'd be confident with Saka to start all of those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he does often get subbed. I think he's one of the most subbed players alongside Son in the league. Yeah. Um, but I'd be I'd be very confident that he starts most of the games, and that's his appeal over the likes of Diaz and Foden, right? If you think, feel that he, he might, um, they might get rotated. Diaz, so and like... Sa- Diaz and Saka are my two favourites there of the eight point uh, right. eight, eight million players. Yeah, I really like Diaz. Just, okay. I just think he's a. I just think he was probably signed in signed in January, wasn't he? And I wonder if Liverpool knew Manny was leaving at that. Manny was going to leave at that point, and he is just a long term replacement on that left wing, and we maybe won't see as much rotation as people think. So like you said, with Foden, you'd move his expected minutes up. I think I would do the same with Diaz. Right, and, okay. and Jota is currently picked up an injury, hasn't he? So that's something to consider. Mm. If that turns out to be a long-term injury, so many people will own him in game week one. And I think they probably will anyway. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those players that appeals to anyone just because he's he's obviously great to watch and he did well. So forget the underlying data. He's already, you know, and the, and the way he's priced in the fixtures, there's already enough reason to go for him. Yeah. Uh, as a result, I almost want to instinctively say, well, I don't want to go for him now because I can justify it on the data, but the data's still good and it's it's like trying to be too clever sometimes, I think. So I think, yeah, yeah. he might find his way into my team. Um, let's move on to forwards. Um, in fact, let me bring up the previous slide very quickly. So just to remind ourselves, how could we forget right at the top, uh, Solanke from Bournemouth. Um, not the best of times in the Premier League in the past. Uh, but very, very heavily favoured here by FPL Review. I should mention at this point, actually, because I forgot to mention it earlier, that FPL uh, Cola, so C-O-L-A, all one word, at FPL Cola, actually helped to put this graph together as well. She's not mentioned on here, but you should give her a follow as well. Another very clever individual. Um, Yes, Solanke and Haaland, I'm not surprised by Haaland in the slightest, and Antonio Mitrovic, they strongly appeal to me as general players across the season, Um, so I can see why they're up there. Let's go to the forwards, uh, taken by max expected points across the six weeks. Um, yeah, obviously some very big expensive names right at the top. Um, again, we've done this with all of the slides so far. Is Harlan just a lock to the point where we don't consider it? I think I think there's more of a conversation around him, personally. Yeah, I think it's definitely more of a conversation. 
one thing I'd say here, and again, I'm, you mentioned it in your intro, actually, intro, Luke. If, you, if you're only owning Haaland because you know those people will own him and you can see his ownership, like, don't let that be the reason. Absolutely. You should, you should pick him if you think he makes your team as good as it can be. So don't own him just because loads of people own him. However, the reason that lots of people own him is because he is a brilliant pick. And I think, like, I think he's, I think Man City are the best team in the world, personally. I know they've not won the Champions League. I think they've been the best team in the world for a long time. One of the, probably the most creative team in the world. And he's one, he's the best or one of the best centre forwards in the world and goal scorers. So it's, Potentially the best goal scorer or best um, centre forward in the world, joining the best team in the world <laughs> with really, really good opening fixtures. So sometimes I think it is that simple. Um, and he's just, yeah, he's absolutely phenomenal. We've not just seen that in the Bundesliga. Um, we've seen that in the Champions League as well. So I've just, I know there's a lot of talk about like people call it Bundesliga tax, don't they? Players mm. moving to the Premier League and they are slow to start. Uh, which is true, and it does happen, but I don't think we'll see that with Haaland, personally. Like, maybe we will, but I can't see it. I think he's so good, and his underlying numbers are so good. And he's such a good finisher as well. He like he always outperforms his XG. Did that a lot last season. Has has done that consistently throughout the like these three or four main seasons so far. Um, and his... Yeah, yeah, he's, he's just a ridiculous player. But I think, yeah, I, I don't think... I think there are loads of good reasons to own him, and you, in my opinion, you should. But I wouldn't say the same as I would, for, say, for Traller, Salah and Trent. I think there are like completely fair reasons why you might choose not to. Yeah. Um, I think it's the expected minutes and around how Man City will yeah. adjust the system. Those concerns are fine, I think. You know, if you, if, you, if there's, again, this is one we're going to be guided by. You know, if, if we're coming up to the stage of um, game week one and Haaland's barely featured in pre-season, then obviously he's not going to be in people's teams. What well, he, he probably yeah. shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, as for me right now, I mean, he's in there. I'm interested to see how it works, but it, it seems like a pretty obvious pickup. I just want to touch on something you said there about obviously when players come into this league and generally people like to take a, you know, a wide berth and watch them and stuff. And I think that's absolutely fine. I think that's generally, if you apply that to all players, you're probably going to come up, up on that rather than, than down in most scenarios. There's always exceptions. You know, Bruno Fernandes came in and was fantastic for Man United. Diaz came in for Liverpool, was fantastic. Could have, could have Zesky last season. There's lots of different people who come from different leagues and do do well. Um, but someone pointing out as a general, um, and it's probably, it was from the analytical community, actually, he said that if you look at all players, essentially there's only about sort of 15%, maybe that's even um, generous, 10 to 15% that are actually options throughout the season. So most players, obviously in the Premier League, if you play in the Premier League, you are a good player. Like you, you don't get to play at this level if you're not a good player. Being a good fantasy pick is very, very tough given the way that the game's set out. So only around 10 to 15% of being generous are options. So you can kind of take that and apply that to any new player coming in that he's got a very good chance of not being a good fantasy pick. It doesn't matter what league you've come from or what's happened. And I kind of like that approach. I think yeah. that kind of gives a general view that's quite useful. People apply the bias where they want, right? Werner was, a, was an issue that everyone had and now suddenly... I'd expect him to see that chat around Haaland. I don't see any of that chat around Haaland. But is it possible that he comes in and he's just not good? I suppose it is. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Ronaldo's not not a factor. I think at the moment the champions, the fixtures are too bad. I think there's not even we're not even sure if he's going to be there. So I, I think that's a write-off straight away. Kane is an alternative to Haaland. We talked uh, about that already. Yeah, like I think if you're going to go with three players, I would go with Kane as my third player. But yeah. I personally wouldn't. I wouldn't go from as an alternative to Haaland. Uh, but I mean, I think Kane will like. I think Kane will probably score like close to twenty-five goals this season. Like he's an outstanding 
goal scorer, mm. one of the one of the best st- players in the world, not just strikers in my opinion. Like this is his passing is so underrated as well. It's not just his goal scoring. If I'm just talking about football, not just FPL. So yeah. I, I love love the guy. I think he'll be a great asset throughout the season. But because of the fix, yeah, I think if Kane had Haaland's fixtures, it would be really interesting. Mm. But because of the fixtures the other way around, and I probably just about favour Haaland anyway. That's what cements it for me. Yeah, I think a more interesting conversation is who. I think a lot of people are you looking at two up front. Obviously, some people are looking at three up front, but it's who to partner him with. Um, that is quite tricky. And I think there's a case to be made for a lot of the different options there. Similar to the 8 million midfielders where there's a few that you could pick in that bracket. I think the strikers, there's quite a few. Like many on Twitter at the moment, I'm sat with Jesus in my team. Um, It's more money than I thought I was going to be spending on my strikers at the beginning of the season before I saw the prices. Um, That's not completely set for me. Um, I do do really like him and I don't think there's much to talk about there because the fixtures are good probably playing centre-forward. I think most people have got him. But can you see the argument for going for someone else rather than Jesus and then spending that money elsewhere? I think that's the interesting conversation because I do think there is a chance some of these lesser guys, Mitrovic, Tony, even with the bad fixtures for Mitrovic, um, you know, I think they could still offer comparative value when you use that money elsewhere. Um, mm. I don't think it's a straightforward one, personally. No, I don't think it is. I think Tony's fixtures are really good as well, aren't they, after his first mm. opening one? Solanke, I'm struggling with that, even though I've seen that on that data. Yeah. Like even in, like even in the championship last season, like he had an amazing season last season. I wrote it down here actually. Uh, but yeah, he still didn't come close to like Mitrovic's levels of goal scoring. Um, and most people would probably say that like, Fulham are the better team as well. So I find it hard to go with with Solanke over Mitrovic for that reason. But again, it's just a value thing. Uh, he scored 29 goals last year, Solanke. Mitrovic scored 43 in 44 games. That's absolutely absolutely ludicrous. And the other thing I'll say about Mitrovic is, so his last season with Fulham was really poor, but he was dropped. Uh, he was underperforming his XG a lot. I had a look, so he scored three point from only 6.5 XG. If he happened to have scored like seven from that 6.5 XG at that time, he was dropped. Like maybe he would have still been in the team and he would have gone into double figures. And in two previous seasons, both at Newcastle, he scored, I think, or maybe one was at Fulham. I think both at Newcastle. He scored double figures in the Premier League before. Mm. So there's all this this narrative or joke that like Mitrovic is like the ultimate championship player that can't do it in the Premier League. Like he's he's fine in the Premier League. Like he scored ten goals in one season. I think it was eleven or twelve in the other. Mm. For like a poor team each time. So like I think he's a really good pick. It's just their opening fixtures are so bad. It's bad hard to go. It. It's hard to go from it from the off. So I really really like him as a player. Uh, I enjoy I his his like aggression and the fact he winds players up as well. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's always sad to have that spice when you're watching the game, just nervous whether your player's going to get a red card. But yeah, it's, um, he, he'd, def- he'd be in my team if the fixtures weren't um, as poor yeah. as they are, I think. Um, I, I still may even just go with him and just think, you know what, I'm just going to leave him in anyway. Then I remind myself I'm only picking a team for six, seven, eight weeks before a wild card. I think if that wasn't the case, I'd be more tempted to just stick him in and just ride those tougher fixtures. Yeah. Um, so I still feel he can pick up, you know, similar to Pukki against the Norwich and, and, and stuff like that. It's like having that guy who is a bit of a talisman who has got um, penalties in his locker. It's just the value. When you look at the team uh, structure for FPL, and I think it's quite an interesting conversation around forwards in general here, is that for me, when you look at that price bracket of like 6, 6.5, and you look at all the different positions... For me, defenders come out on top. I think in general, if you look at the likes of James, of Chilwell, you know, around that area, even DS Laporte, I think that's a very safe uh, place to spend your money. And I think they can do, you know, 
comparatively to their value very well across the season. They also save you transfers, arguably, because you would probably just leave them. I think the next position you look at that price is forwards. You know, I, I've been critical of them, but I think when you look at the options, I think Undav potentially at Brighton, who's on the on the model solver there. You've got Mitrovic, you've got Tayo Awinoe for, for Forrest. He looks like he's got good stats as well. Solanke obviously is there as well. That price bracket, those guys, it's, you can envisage all of those getting you know, somewhere up to 10 goals and maybe in some cases 10 to 15 goals. Yeah. And I think when you look at it like that and then compare it to the midfielders around those prize, I struggle to see anyone who could get close. Um, Martinelli's one that stands out there because, you know, we've already mentioned maybe on pens, but he's expecting minutes of ropey. Outside that, I find it quite tough. Would I want to like put a Ward-Prowse in who could maybe do as well? I think Ward-Prowse will beat a few of those strikers or maybe a couple of them. But I think using your transfer on that striker spot considering Haaland, Salah are likely to be mainstays, mm. starts to make sense, right? That maybe the season where I'm going to spend my transfers is more just trying to get that forward for the nice run of fixtures. So maybe the solver likes Solanke because of the three, the home games are pretty good for him, I think. So maybe you have him, you move on to the likes of Mitrovic, you move on to Tayo if he's doing well, uh, Awinoe for Forrest, I think they've got a good run. That feels like it's probably a better use of that transfer if I'm going to be keeping those main guys and that's where the points might be. Um, I don't know if you agree, because right at the beginning, I just thought this is terrible for the striker prices. But the more I looked at it, I feel like the cheaper ones do actually offer quite a lot of value. Yeah, I felt exactly the same. And it was when I started to look at the midfielders, I, I came to that train of thought. Like, I I think Neto is currently in my team, but I hate that pick so much. He's just so underwhelming, but really probably is good value, isn't he, in reality? Mm. Uh, Martinelli, again, I don't, don't, you've got Smith Rowe there um, as well. Jesus has just signed. Um, Saka obviously like I'm not like, that convinced by his minutes as well I'm not that enthused by him um, so I think I'll probably end up going for like two eights and eight million players or 8.0 players I don't think it's technically millions anymore is it anyway and uh, and Salah in midfield and then yeah I, I think probably the same and I do actually really like <laughs> I love Callum Wilson when he's fit like he just tends to score goals when he's fit in the Premier League and he's good under- underlying data when he's fit as well we saw that in the last day of the season, last season. We've seen it in previous seasons. Um, but I think he's, yeah, he's got a good opening fixture, hasn't he, actually? I think he's playing, is it Forrest? Let's have a quick look. Yeah, Forrest in the first game, then Brighton. I can't see myself going with him, though. He's just, it's like, it just feels like a transfer out waiting to happen. But I agree with you in general with that spot. There are a few nice little options that will emerge, I think, at different times. Mitrovic, Tony, maybe Solanke. Um and probably other players we've not even mentioned yet as well, like Calvert Lewin, mm. Bamford at other times, um, also. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, it may it may not work out this way, but I just feel that having an, maybe an eight million midfielder in your team and maybe having a six point five or up to seven possibly striker slot seems to work because I feel like those are the two areas right now where transfers look more obvious than others, and there's lots of options where I couldn't tell you who is the best pick categorically, and I think that will change. Um, yeah. as the season goes on so I kind of like that um, and that's kind of where I'm at. any team that I make that's what I've got in the back of my mind at the moment I'll say I'm always open to be changing um, we've been going for about an hour and 15 now already Sam so oh, that's surprising <laughs> yeah so we I know we were aiming for 45 in general we did say the first one would be a bit longer um, so I think if you're happy should we call it there and um, do you want to give us a Give us an outro <laughs> of sorts. We haven't practiced this, boys, honestly. Yeah, of course. I suppose just like in general, just to say like thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Um, if you have any feedback for us, DM us on Twitter and let us know if there's certain features you want to see or maybe even certain guests. We will have guests on some week, which is exciting. And it'll be great to get some people on 
who are like real stats and analytics experts that we can learn from mm. um also and then we've got lots of ideas for future for future like um segments as well which we'll share over the coming weeks and next week we're going to be sharing our first drafts together that'll be like our hot topic for the week um so yeah give us a, a follow on twitter if you can like and subscribe to the channel or subscribe to the uh, the podcast network you're listening on as well that'd be great and thanks for listening see you soon absolutely yeah uh, spread the word as well guys if you can that will that will be um, a big help to us obviously we're brand new starting um and we're also going to run a feature i think sam was right saying we're going to look at running an fpl review team um, oh, yeah. alongside yeah as the season goes on so essentially using the fpl uh sorry the inspected goals email and basically making a team off of that and doing optimal moves for for the computer to laugh at us every single week when we fail to achieve the same standards yeah um, so yeah i think that's it thanks a lot guys and we shall hopefully see you on the next one uh, next thursday cheers guys all the best bye-bye